being in church together this morning. Man, so glad to be together. If you're brand new to ACF or maybe you're just new to town and uh, this is your first time, we are so excited that you're here. We just want to say welcome home. Uh, If you don't know what ACF Church is about, uh, we're a church that exists to amplify the grace of Jesus to the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. And we have this vision that it would be in Alaska as it is in heaven. This was the prayer that Jesus, as he taught the disciples to pray, that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. We just happen to live in Alaska. And so we believe it's our call to bring little bits of heaven on earth, healing and hope and fullness here in this world. And so that's what God is calling us to do. And man, you guys are doing it. I'm so proud of our church family for the way you love and serve our community. And Jed, thanks for that reminder of fall. It's coming, y'all. It, it really is. I, I told my wife this week, uh, I woke up in the morning, looked at the thermometer, and I said, babe, guess what? It was 17 degrees above freezing today. And she, yeah, she, she was ex- as excited about that as you are. Uh, but that, that's a season that we're in. Also, today is group launch. We're excited about that. It's a chance for you to get plugged into a group. And if you don't have a community, we have a community for you. So our goal is that everybody here at, at our church would be on a serve team or in a small group. And uh, my, my prayer has been this entire year that we'd see more people on serve teams and in small groups than actually attend church on a weekend. And so that's, uh, that's the dream. That's the vision. And we're ready for you today, one o'clock. You'll hear more about that at the end. Also, we've got the tank full because it's baptism week, everybody, uh, which gets us so excited. Absolutely. And uh, if you don't know what baptism is, it's, uh, it's something Jesus told us to do this. He said, go and make disciples and baptize them. And so that's what we've continued to do for thousands of years. It's this ancient symbol that Christians have been participating in uh, that represents our death to our old self and our, our resurrection to our new self. It's kind of like us going public saying, hey, that old me is dead, but the new me is here. In Christ Jesus, I am alive. And so it's, it's kind of for you, but it's really for everybody else. Like if you're a Christian, you know you're a Christian. You're like, I'm good. But this is a chance for you to tell us about what God has done in your life. And so I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized, to make today your day. Even if you didn't come ready for that, we've got everything you need. They have t-shirts and, and uh, shorts and everything possible, you know, hair dryers in the bathrooms, whatever you could need, we got you covered. The water's like 95 degrees. It's warm, y'all. So it's going to be great. I would love to give you that opportunity, if you've never been baptized, to make that public profession of faith. I think it's really going to make an impact on everybody's life as, as you do that. So we are in a series uh, continuing through the book of Mark this summer. And it's been so much fun. Hopefully you've been able to read along with us uh, in, in this journey. We've called this series Counterculture. And the question we've been asking is, how does Jesus present a countercultural way to live? 
And the reason why that's such an important question is because as we look at the world, we, we would say that uh, a lot of people are not experiencing the things that people have promised. There's not more hope and more peace and less anxiety. People are more anxious and, and there's less peace and, and more anxiety. Yet Jesus provides a different way to live. He always gives us a, a better way to be humans. And he is the example. And throughout the book of Mark, he's shown us different and better ways to live our lives. And so today we're in Mark chapter 14. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to open up to Mark chapter 14 as we get going here today. And and as you're doing that, I'll ask you this question. Who here's ever been through some hard times? Anybody here been through some hard? I see double hands in the back. I like that. Yes. Yes. All the hard times. We've all probably experienced some hard times. If you haven't, uh, give it five minutes. It'll change, right? Life has a way of walking us through some pretty hard times. And, and, and as individuals, we've, we've experienced this. Um, as a country, we've experienced some pretty hard times. I was uh, reading this week about the Great Depression. Some of you know some of our history. Uh, the Great Depression began with a stock market crash in 1929. And by 1933, over 5,000 banks had gone out of business and people's stocks had lost 90% of their value. That's not so good, right? Right. Uh, in fact, the unemployment rate in this time was 25%. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows where it's at in 2023, but it's pretty bad. It's 3.5%. So um, times have been worse is what I noticed from that. But if in this time, if you managed to keep your job, you'd be working for about a third of your pay, uh, which would be a bummer, right? Uh, millions of capable Americans wanted to work but couldn't. It's like the totally opposite problem that we have today, right? Times have really changed. And, and people would do whatever it took to make a buck, right? They'd, they'd sell fruit on the street corner. Uh, they would stand in these long bread lines just waiting to get food. One sh- Chicago social worker was quoted saying this, We saw want and despair walking the streets. In our friends, sensible, thrifty families reduced to poverty. Hard times hard times. And people reused everything, right? Although times are tough, we find a way to do it, right? We find a way to to make it by. And so they reused a lot of stuff to try to get by in this time. They turned bed sheets into clothing. They burned tires for heat, which I'm sure was really good for the lungs. Uh, They used the water that they would wash their dishes with in the morning to bathe in in the evening, right? So uh, tell that to your teenage daughter when she complains about only getting 30 minutes of a shower every night, right? It was, these were hard, hard times. I don't know if any of you grew up hearing this phrase at the dinner table. I heard this all the time. Uh, You've got to eat everything on your plate. Did you hear that growing up? Uh, That was always, my parents would say, hey, we don't waste anything. You got to eat everything on your plate. And then I remember that there was this one time I went to a friend's house and we were there for lunch and his mother came out. She had made us lunch and uh, she had made us our favorite meal, peanut butter and jelly. And uh, she put them down in front of us, the two sandwiches, and I'm looking at my sandwich, and she had done something that I had never seen in my entire life. Does anybody know what she did? She, she cut the, that's right, she cut the crust off the sandwiches. I was like, where's the rest of my sandwich? She cut the crust off. I mean, I was, I was always taught to eat the crust. I mean, if you cut the crust off your kids' sandwiches, may God have mercy on your soul. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sort of. Um, but this is, uh, I, just, I was just, it just felt wasteful, according to my family, you know, and I'm sure it made sense to them. My grandfather, he grew up in the Depression era, and we'd spend the summer together on his farm. We'd go to restaurants for lunch, and when he would get more food than he could eat, which didn't happen often, because he would eat it all, like everything, 
He would actually literally throw a funeral for his food. He would pull out the napkin and he would cover it up so he didn't have to look at the food that was potentially being wasted. Where are my practical people at in the room? Who's the practical people? A couple of you here don't elbow your friend, but like maybe you're the practical person. I'm a pretty practical person and I hate wasting things. And the question is, what determines if something's wasteful? Well, I think, I think this describes it. We see something as wasteful when the cost seems to outweigh the benefit, right? That's how we know it's wasteful. Maybe you've said this before. Why does she waste so much money on clothes, right? And she's like, hey, this don't come free, baby. Like, this costs some money to get all of this. And maybe you've said to your husband or to someone else, hey, why does he spend so much money on sports or on tools, right? Maybe you even, like, you see the band up here, and they're talented musicians, and you go, maybe you're from outside of the church, and you don't understand what's going on here, and you go, why do they waste their talent by playing in front of the church? Or, or maybe you don't understand why people are in small groups, and you go, why do you waste your time going to this small group during the, during the week? Like, you've already gone to church on Sunday. Like, it seems like such a waste. And the story that we're going to talk about today is a story of One person who's throwing a party and another person who's throwing a fit because what they're doing seems wasteful to them. And as we go through the book of Mark, continuing forward, we're going to see the the story kind of pick up its pace a little bit. We're walking with Jesus toward the cross, and we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him, being Jesus, by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So this was the traditional Passover feast and and celebration. This was a massive, massive party. People would come from, from hundreds of miles in every direction to come to Jerusalem. And so the city was full of people, crowds walking the streets. This moment would have been six days before the Passover, which means it was the Friday before the triumphal entry of Jesus. Remember that story? He comes into the city as a king before they would crucify him as a criminal. And this is where we're at. Verse 3 says, and, he, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the, the leper, now I have to stop for a minute. If you don't know what leprosy is, it's talked about a lot in the Bible. It's this horrific skin disease. And if you had leprosy, it would have meant that you were unclean, both ceremonial uh, as well as you couldn't go into people's houses and, and, and they couldn't touch you. You were actually uh, somebody who was rejected from community. Now, we see that in this moment, Jesus is at a man's house who is known as Simon the leper. But here's the thing about Simon is he doesn't have leprosy anymore. Now, most scholars believe that the reason they're all there, although Jesus did have interactions with the leprous, but there were other people with Jesus, the reason they're all there is because Simon had actually been healed by Jesus. Like, he'd actually been healed. And so Simon opens his home to Jesus out of gratitude for what he had done for him. Does that make sense? That, that, that's what he's doing. It, it just makes sense. He opens his home to Jesus for what he's done. So they're at his house, and it says this, as he was reclining at table. Now, when you read reclining at table, I don't know if you think, like, did they bring a lazy boy up to the table? That's what recliner means to me. No, no. In, in, in this first century context, reclining at table, the only thing I can think is to show you. Okay, so here we go. It's something like, like this, like senior photo pose. Uh, this was me circa 2000. 
but Jesus would have been literally reclining these, these short tables. They would have had rugs around the table, and this is how they ate, was something like this. And so this is going to make sense as the story goes on. Thank you for that. Oh, yep, appreciate it, appreciate it. Um, so Jesus is reclining at table, literally laying on the ground, and then it says this, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So they're having a party. They're eating, having a good time together, and this woman just shows up, breaks into the party, and she goes over to Jesus with this clay flask full of oil. This, this oil was very, very expensive. And I don't think we've got any context for this today. Uh, but, but for them, like, this was a very, very expensive oil. Uh, it probably translated to being worth about a year's worth of wages. That's the value of this oil. So I don't know what your W-2 says at the end of the year, but that number is the value of this oil, okay? So she shows up And she doesn't just pour a little bit out. What does she do? She breaks the flask. She breaks the flask and pours it out on Jesus. Now, this is crazy. This is crazy. Now, if you did happen to buy some some oil that was worth a year's worth of wages and you had an opportunity to honor Jesus with this oil, how much would you use? You know, my tendency would be to use a little bit of it. Right? People would have been impressed with half the oil. That's like half a year's worth of wages. Whoa! They would have been impressed by a couple drops of that oil, right? I mean, it's worth a lot of money. And this woman shows up, and she breaks the flask and pours it out on Jesus. This woman has a lot to lose. She has a lot to give away. Now, I know this to be true in my life. I remember the first time I gave an offering at church. Um, It wasn't much, but it didn't hurt much because I didn't have much. You know, like some of you have been there. And, uh, but here's what I've learned. The more you have, the more you have to lose. Isn't that right? And so the more you have, the more you have to lose, the more it kind of hurts. And, and uh, many, many of you have been there. I've been there where you kind of throw up in your mouth a little bit when you make a big offering. And it's like, okay, this is costly. This is, whew, this is a big deal what I'm doing right now. And for this woman, she pours it out on Jesus. And we're going to see three consequences of this action. We're going to see three things. Aroma, criticism, and approval. So remember these things. Aroma, criticism, and approval. The first is aroma. So remember, Jesus is on the road to the cross. He's preparing to be buried. And in this time, it would have been tradition for if somebody was, was, was buried in a tomb, before they were buried, people would go and they would put these spices and fragrant oils on the body to slow the decomposition process and to reduce the smell. So this woman, I want you to think about this, this woman shows up with this highly costly oil and she pours it out on Jesus. This woman gets it. She understands who Jesus is, that Jesus is about to die. He's about to be buried. She's literally literally preparing him for burial in this moment and everyone would smell what just happened. I mean, a little of this oil went a long way. Some of you guys sell essential oils, and, you know, maybe that's comparable. Although I haven't seen any that cost a year's worth of wages. I'm sure they exist. But it would have been a very fragrant oil. Here's what I know about those oils. A little drop goes a long way. You've got to be careful with it. 
But this is, a, this is a whole flask of it poured out on Jesus' head. Everybody would smell what just happened, and it made me think of this passage in 2 Corinthians 2. Verse 15 says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God, but this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom, but to, but to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So I don't know if you know this, but when you walk into a space, you bring an aroma. And you're like, body odor? I hope not. Uh, Something else. Hopefully when you walk into a space, people get the sense that Jesus just walked in. It's like like a smell. And and this this passage in Corinthians is is relating to this idea that, that when you walk into the room, it should be a polarizing aroma to those around you. Does that make sense? Like, depending on whether you're going to receive Christ or reject Christ, the Christian aroma affects you differently. Some people, it's death. Other people, it's life. I want you to hear me on this. Our lives should polarize an unbelieving world. Amen? Christians should be polarizing the world. We should walk into a room and people should be offended or intrigued, but they should never be indifferent to our presence If people are indifferent to your faith, I want you to think about this. If they're indifferent to who you are, it's because you aren't covered in the oil. Because you have not yet experienced the real death of your pride, ego, self-centeredness, and ambition that truly leads to a counter-cultural resurrection life that people will notice. Are you that aroma to people? And this woman, she, she breaks the bottle. She pours it out. Now, now, why did she break the bottle? I was really praying about this and reflecting on this. She could have saved the bottle. We don't know how much it was worth. You know, it's like, you poured out all the oil, at least save the bottle, lady. She breaks the bottle. I, I think the reason she breaks the bottle is because there was no going back. There was no going back from this offering in this moment, right? Imagine, like, the emotions as she's walking up to Jesus. She knows what she's going to do. And, and I'd imagine that there were mixed feelings at times, you know, when, when you're bringing something to Jesus, sometimes there's mixed feelings. I don't know if I want to give this up. I don't know if I'm ready to give this up. Some of you walked in today with something that needs to be given to Jesus, and you're just not ready to give it up. And so you have mixed feelings, and she did too, and I'd imagine she did. And, and yet she made this decision not to pour part of it out, but all of it out to Jesus. And here's the deal. I believe that the oil represents the sacrifice But the breaking of the flask represents the finality of her decision and devotion to Jesus. Like, she made a decision, everyone. Like, and some of you guys, man, this is something that you need to do today. You've been on the fence with Jesus. You've been on the fence with your faith. You've been on the fence with something that he wants from your life for a long time. And, man, it's just not going well because you haven't made a decision. And I just look at this woman and I'm like, she just... She just sent it, didn't she? That's the language we use today, right? Just send it, bro. That's what she did. She just sent it. She was willing to pour herself out. Hear me on this. There are some realities of God that you will never experience fully until you fully commit to him. There are some things that will never make sense. And and this is a truth that we see throughout our lives and, I mean, in other places in the world. Uh, You will never truly experience friendship until you fully commit to your friends. Some of you are like, man, I got some friends. No, you don't. You go to church on Sunday, you say hi to some people, you've got some interactions and acquaintances, but they don't know your struggles. They don't know your heart. They don't know what you're going through. You're not honest with them. They're not honest with you. You don't have real friendship, which is why you don't get it. 
That's why you don't understand being in a small group or being in a small community because you're just like, it's not necessary. But when you experience it, you go, oh no, how did I ever make it without this? You got to fully commit. Marriage is this way, right? Married people, you want full commitment, don't you? Right? Yes, amen. All right. One person. Rest of y'all, open marriage? Not a thing. Not a thing. Uh, Don't go for that. Yeah, you want full commitment in marriage, right? You want somebody who is like, I am committing for life. I am sealing the escape hatch. I am living with you forever for better or for worse, right? That's marriage. But in our society, we don't like that. So we like to, we like to live with one another and just sleep with one another and just kind of like, let's just act like we're married but not really have the commitment of marriage. And I want you to know you're missing out on an aspect of marriage that comes from the beauty of living in a covenant relationship for the rest of your life. Like, it's a gift. It's a gift. So fully commit. Friendship is that way. Church is that way. I mean, some of you guys, you're standing on the outside of the church family. You won't really get why we do what we do or what we're about until you fully commit to the family of God. I read this book uh, years, years ago, and I felt like the title just spoke to me as much as the book. And it said, it said, stop dating the church. Fall in love with the family of God. There's a lot of people dating the church today. You got our church today, another church tomorrow, another church. Like, it's fine trying to figure out where you need to land, but can I just tell you, you need to land. I, I met somebody a, a while back who was like, I've been bouncing around from church to church for over a year, right? Can I just, I'm just going to let you down right now. There are no perfect churches. If you find a perfect church, run, because it ain't perfect. It just looks perfect, okay? So you're just, you just, at some point, you got to fully commit. I learned this summer that you got to fully commit when you're wakeboarding. I got invited to go out wakeboarding, and I said, hey, can you go easy on me? Just don't, don't, like, throttle into it like the last person. Just go easy, and they about ripped my arms out of my sockets. It was just, like, lots of pain. And finally, I was like, send it! And I was, boop, up on the water. That's what it took. And, like, full commitment to getting up and getting that, that speed to get up on plane. And I, I want you to know that. That's, that's the Christian life. You got a full send to really experience it, Right? I mean, this is how Jesus talks about discipleship. It's like you show up to him and it's a, the, the invitation is to come and die. To give up your life and take up the life of Christ. Now, that was aroma. The next thing we see in this story is criticism. Verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. So we live in a culture of criticism, don't we? Like, oh, we love to criticize. We love to cancel. We love to call people out. I love what Anne Lamont says. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Come on, ouch to that, right? Like, I could just pray after that quote. You see, we criticize the things that don't make sense to us, don't we? Are you that person who's like, everybody else, a bunch of idiots, world's full of idiots. Maybe you're the idiot. I don't know. Like, if you think everybody else is the idiot, that's the case. Like, we tend to criticize people for not doing what makes sense to us. And so this woman, he, she, she pours out this, this oil on Jesus and gets criticized for it. Why? Because she just took it way too far. She just took it way too far for the people around. And, and some of you, man, when you look at what we do in church, you're just like, you're just taking that way too far. Even here, there are some people, and I've been there before, where you walked in with a spirit of criticism in your heart. And, and you're critical towards the church, you're critical towards pastors, and, 
And uh, hey, listen, we are a church for people who are, who are struggling with church. And, and, and I, I love that you're here. But I want you to know, until you experience it, you're always going to think it's too far. Like you're going to see the lady in the front. She's going to be like, losing it for Jesus, right, during the worship set. And you're just like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, what's she doing? You're just, lady, calm down, calm down. It's, it's not that big of a deal, right? She's going to be taking it way too far. Because for you, maybe it just, man, you just do what makes sense. And what we do as, as Christians should not make sense to the people around us. Here's the question. I, I, I think this might be the case. I'm not sure that you're actually worshiping until your lifestyle doesn't make sense to the world around you. Like if what you're doing makes sense, then are you really worshiping? Here's what makes sense at church is that if you show up, then the band starts playing. What makes sense is you stand there like this. That makes sense. If you go to the fair, you go to a show at the fair, that's what you're going to do. You know, king and country's up there jamming. You're going to go move around a little bit. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is when somebody's like on their face before God at church. You're like, that's awkward and weird. And why would they do that unless there's something else going on in their lives? Now, in this passage, um, Mark is really nice. He doesn't name names. He's like, some people complain. Some people criticize but then there's John's account, and I love that John names names. John's like, it was Judas. It was Judas. Judas was the one. He was the one that criticized the woman. People joined in, but it was really, really just, just Judas. And um, do you remember what Judas's job was in, uh, in the group? Anybody? That's right. He was the money guy. That's right. He's, he was the treasurer. He was the bean counter, right? And uh, he looks at what just happened, and he's like, oh, my goodness. What a waste. What a waste, right? Why would she pour that out on Jesus? They scolded her and said, you could have given that money to the poor. Pour that out on Jesus. I've literally experienced this. A few years ago, a guy came up to me at church after a service and caught me. People say fun things to me at church. It's fun. Um, and he goes, he goes, you know what? I don't think that a church should waste so much money on those lights when we could give that money to the poor. He literally said that. I'm like, have you read the book of Mark? Um, this is literally what he said. And I didn't say this, but I could have said, hey, do you have an iPhone? Because everybody does, right? And I could have said, do you know you could sell that iPhone and give the money to the poor? Did you show up in a car? Do you know you could sell that car and give the money to the poor? Now, I get that in 2023, there's a lot of things that people see and church scandals and questions about finances and, you know, we want, to be, we want to be wise with the way that we spend money. But again, what does it really mean for something to be a waste, right? It's a waste when we don't think that it's a worthy cause, right? I kind of think that for you online people, it's good that you can see me at church today. So, awesome. We got some lights for you, right? Here's the deal. Like, when it's a worthy cause, it's not waste. Listen to this. It's worship. When, it's a, when we think it's a worthy cause, it's not waste, it's worship. And for Judas, when this woman poured out a year's worth of, waste, worth of wages on Jesus, she, he's like, that's a waste. You could use that money to feed the poor. And oftentimes, this is the case, when you have a critical spirit, it's telling of a deeper issue, isn't it? And once again, John goes on, gives us more context in 12, chapter 12, verse 6. It says that Judas, he said this not because he cared about the poor. Oh, okay. So he wasn't really worried about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself 
to what was put into it. So, so Judas, he, he sounded really spiritual, right? People in the room might have been like, oh, that's right, Judas. Tell her. We should feed the poor, right? But he wasn't spiritual. He was just being self-righteous. He was just trying to show out, like, oh, I care about the poor, but we read from John's account, he actually didn't care about the poor. He just, he just wanted to make sure all the money was being used for him. He wanted to make sure he had access to the money. So sometimes when you're critical, it's not because you're worried about worship, it's because you're a thief. It's because you're stealing from God, which is what Judas was actually doing. And we even know in the upper room, Jesus, he says to Judas, he says, hey, what you're about to do, do it quickly. And the other disciples, it says they think that basically he's telling Judas to go buy some food for the poor. They're, they're, they're so deceived by Judas thinking that he was someone who really cared about the poor. He just had a critical spirit because he cared about himself. Think about this. Judas criticized Jesus or criticized this woman for wasting the oil on Jesus, and yet Judas wasted his entire life by betraying the Son of Man. I mean, so again, you've got you to determine what's actually a waste, but what's actually worship. In verse 6, it goes on, But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whatever you want, whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. So we've seen aroma. We've seen criticism. Now what we see is approval. Jesus approves of this extravagant sacrifice. Now you could you say, well, Jesus, doesn't Jesus care about the poor? Of course he does. Do we as a church family care about the poor? Of course we do, right? And so we meet needs. We do things for the poor. We also see the value of worship. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's valuing her sacrifice. You see, Jesus always honor the faith. He honors the faith that goes way too far. Jesus always honors the faith that goes way too far. And this woman, for the people around her, she just went way too far. I want you to think about when this happens. This is during the Passover, the celebration that Israel had been delivered from slavery, right? So they would sacrifice a Passover lamb. It would be the best of the best of their livestock to to honor God for his deliverance. And now in this moment, with all the religious people watching, Jesus, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world to deliver us from our sins, sits at a table with them. And this woman is the only one that seems to understand that this extravagant sacrifice is worthy of Christ. She's like the only one that seems to get it. Now, there may be a question that you've been asking throughout this whole message, and I think it's an important question. It's one that I was asking as I was reading this in the book of Mark. And it's this question, who is this woman? This is a special woman. And if you read on, it says that we will be actually talking about this woman for generations and generations and generations to come because of her sacrifice. So who in the world was this woman that in this calculated moment chose to give up a year's worth of wages to honor Jesus? What would motivate her to do such a thing? Such an extravagant sacrifice. Well, once again, she's unnamed in Mark, but John names names, right? John names names. So go back to John chapter 12. This was no random woman. It says this in verse 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. First name, Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary, Mary, 
Mary's the one that brought the sacrifice. Okay, you're like, well, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. There are, but this was just, this was no random Mary. This was a specific Mary. This was Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus. The Lazarus who just like a page prior, remember the story? Lazarus was sick and they called for help. They called Jesus for help. And they said, come home quickly. We need you, Jesus. These are the friends of Jesus. And Jesus kind of takes his time to get home. And when he gets home, Lazarus is dead. And this is the Mary that looked at Jesus and said, if you'd only been here, he wouldn't have died. Remember what Jesus does? He weeps with her. He grieves with them over the loss. And then what does he do? He raises Lazarus from the dead. This is Mary who sits learning at the feet of Jesus, who's seen him throughout her entire life, like seen this man be faithful, see this man heal people and resurrect her brother from the dead. You see, the sacrifice begins to make sense when you know the story, doesn't it? Like you got to know the story to understand the sacrifice. Why? Would a woman do so much? Why would you come to church early and brew coffee for all these people, right? Doesn't make sense. Like, why would you show up and work in ACF Kids and, like, help a two-year-old go to the bathroom when you already have kids in your own house that need to be taken to the bathroom? It doesn't make sense, right? Like, why would you serve? Why would you love and worship like that because you were loved so much? It doesn't make sense till you know the story. Some of you in this room... If, if we could get you on a mic for a minute, and it'd be amazing if we had time to do this, we could hear your story, and you would you'd get up here and say, hey, y'all, I've seen some stuff. I've seen God do some stuff. I've seen him be faithful in my life. I've seen him heal me and give me hope. And you tell the story of all of that, and, and then when, that, when the people who hear your story see you worship, it's all gonna make sense. You see, that person that you think goes way too far, that's somebody with a story of God's faithfulness in their life. And I know some of you specifically, and I know some of you in this room, you have marriages that were not going to make it, and they wouldn't have apart from the grace of God in your life. There are some of you in this room, you have stories of, uh, of depression and anxiety. Some of you here have dealt with suicidal thoughts and sheer hopelessness. And if not for the grace of God and a community that would accept you and love you, you literally wouldn't be here today. There are some of you who actually have stories of physical miraculous healing where God has shown up and done something that you will never be able to explain apart from the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, and you will never forget that moment. Y'all have seen some stuff. And some of you here are like, I'd love to see some of that. The question is, are you willing to break the flask? Are you willing to actually pour yourself out? Are you willing to send it today? Because here's the truth. No matter how much you send it, you will not be the first one to send it. Because the Bible says the, the, the first one to send it was God. God sent his only son for you. Like, and if you begin to understand that sacrifice, this woman, she stops looking crazy, right? She starts to look like somebody, like, she starts to look like the only one that's doing what makes sense in the moment for the Son of Man who's about to die for the sins of the world. All of a sudden, that crazy person that you criticize is the one that makes sense when you know the story. Have you remembered your story lately? Have you been willing to hear some of other people's stories? I love that when Jesus teaches the disciples how to do communion in a little bit of a different way. 
before he's crucified. He says these words. He says, this is my body. Do you know what he says? Broken for you. Then in Philippians 2.4, it says that Jesus did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he showed up to the world and he emptied himself. So Jesus, listen, don't miss this. Jesus was the first one who showed up, was broken and emptied out for us. So here's the question. Jesus is broken and emptied for us. What does your worship look like toward him? Some of you here today, you need to be broken and emptied out before God. It's been a long time since you've just been honest about who you are. But at the same time, when you're honest about who you are, you can receive the beauty of the sacrifice in a deeper and more profound way. Because no matter how much you've given, and, and some of you have given a lot, Jesus always gave more. Amen? Like I, some of you guys, I want to honor you because you are, you serve faithfully. You give faithfully. You pour yourself out for ministry. You are faithful in so many different ways. Here's the thing though. Jesus always gave more. And when you begin to understand that, you'll, you'll move from a posture of entitlement to a posture of worship. It's, it's, it's a privilege. I bet if you ask this woman like, hey, was that a really big deal for you to give up a year's wages? Like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you did that. She would say, when I was pouring that oil on Jesus' head, I looked in the eyes of my brother, who the day before, or, or just days before was dead and now is alive, and I thought, that's a worthy gift. See, Jesus always gave more. When I look at what Christ did for me, here's what I think. I think Jesus overpaid. I think he way overpaid, because I know who I am. And some of you feel the same way. You're like, I think Jesus way overpaid for me, but I know who I am. When I know my story, the sacrifice begins to make sense. So how can you just send it today? Maybe for you, the way God's calling you to do it is to get baptized. Uh, Maybe you just need the courage to, when we stand in just a minute, to walk back to one of the people with the lanyards on and say, hey, I'd like to get baptized today. Maybe that's what it looks like to send it. Maybe it's something today you just need to release to God that you've been holding on to for way too long and wondering why isn't God showing up and he's, he's, he, he wants to show up. He just wants you to let go. When you let go, he's going to show up. I don't know what that looks like in your life for you to send it, but I want to encourage you to take that next step. We've got some action steps. They're uh, on the little card that was on the seat when you came in. And uh, I'd encourage you to tear that off the bottom. I'm not going to go through all of them, but if you're making a decision today, if you're like, I want to know the grace that that woman knew, I want you to check that first box. Tear that off and drop it in one of the black boxes on the way out. We want to get you some resources on how to take your next step of faith here today. Could you bow your heads? And I want to pray for us. And if you're here and You'd say, I I, want to take that step. I'm not sure how to take it. I want you to just pray with me here today. Jesus, we come together to acknowledge that we are sinful beings and we are separated from the love of God because of our sin. So Father, today I I want to commit my life to you. I want you to take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. I want you to take this dead life and make it alive. I want you to bring me out of the darkness and bring me into your marvelous light. I want you to heal me and make me new. God, I don't understand all of what that means, and yet I understand that your grace is sufficient for my weakness. So today I pray that I'd be able to walk in your grace. Grace just enough for today. 
Father, we as a, as a community, we, we need you. We live in a world that hates commitment. We live in a world that has not experienced you in a deep way because we like to stand on the outside and criticize. God, I pray today you would set someone free from a heart of criticism. God, I pray you'd set someone free from a heart of passivity that stood at a distance wondering what it would be like to be in the party, to be giving the sacrifice. And today, God, you're inviting all of us to be that woman, the ones who pour ourselves out for you and to experience the joy that that woman experienced. God, thank you that we're still telling of her story today. And in this moment, God, we, we know that we're telling our story. So God, I pray today we would pour ourselves out for you as we worship. As we lift our voices in the next few moments, God, I pray that we would pour out an offering, God, and not just pour it out, but we would break the flask and fully commit to you. We love you. We pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.